Okay, back. Very excited to be joined by Democratic candidate Mary Peltola for the House race, special election. How you doing? Thank you, Jeff. I'm doing well. Thank and, you. And also Kim Jones, your your campaign manager. And you were here for our original um, analysis with Art Hackney and Austin Barrett a few months ago. Yeah, I was supporting Mary back then, and were, I'm glad to still be supporting her. <laughs> you were a big time for Mary. And then Hackney was all for Revac, and that thing kind of didn't really ever materialize. But. Yeah, I saw a, a vision for getting Mary uh, to the win and I just stuck by it and I'm excited that I did. So Mary, I didn't know much about you when I first, I didn't know anything about you actually. Sure. And then I you know, I knew you were a legislator, so I want to talk a bit, bit about that, but you were in there back in kind of... A different era actually, before social media, before a lot of the these uh, blogs like, like yours, uh, it, it really was a different era. I was elected in 98 and served through. Talk a little closer. Oh, I was elected in 1998 and served through 2008 as a state house member. So you were done before Facebook and all these things became yeah. a big part of camp before campaigns. Before even MySpace. <laughs> I had a MySpace. I think we all did. Do you remember like the, you could put the song on the music yeah, song? That was a very cool deal. Like to have a soundtrack to your page. So you're, let's just talk a little bit about you. You're from Bethel. I am from Bethel. Yes, I'm from the Cuscoquam River from and, Bethel. And you, you got, when you ran, when you were in the legislature for the first time, you were pretty young. Yeah, I was. I ran and unsuccessfully as a 22-year-old. I lost by 56 votes. I was a challenger, and um, that was a really good experience for me. And then two years later, when I was 24, I was married by then to Jonathan Kapsner. I was Mary Kapsner, and... Um, pregnant and and one as a 24 year old and I quickly turned 25 my birthday happens to land on August 31st so that's right mm -hmm. after the primary and before the general it's funny the the guy right now the CJ McCormick he's 24 yeah and he's going to be 25 but he's running unopposed for yeah. that yeah. for that and seat. Tiffany Zolkowski was very young she was a mayor of Bethel as a very young person as well so why did you back then decide to run for legislature? Well, um, I had thought I was going to be a teacher and ended up doing the legislative internship. And I was an intern for Representative Irene Nikolai, and she represented the interior. She was from Tanana. And I just really enjoyed the legislative process. And I really felt like I could do more for K-12 education at the policy level um, versus the classroom level. So you... Did she encourage you or were you just, was, it, was there an open seat or was it? Um, oh, no, I, I challenged a six, three-term incumbent by, when I won. Um, so it, it was not an open seat. It, it was not, I mean, it was very contested. It was very highly contested. Um, my dad actually um, is a Republican and he and Don Young were very close back in Fort Yukon in the 60s. Oh, oh really? Wow. Yeah. And my mom and dad, <clears throat> excuse me, they helped Don get elected. Don, his, I, apparently, according to my dad, his strategy was he was running for governor, but he didn't have statewide name recognition. He was a House member from Fort Yukon. And in an effort to gain statewide name recognition, his idea was to challenge 
Nick Begich, who was an unbeatable incumbent, just to get name recognition. Uh So my folks uh, campaigned very hard for him. And unfortunately, um, Congressman Begich's plane went down and it required a special election. But Don had done such a good effort at getting his name out there that he was he prevailed in the special election. That's such an Alaska. I didn't know that you the story, but it's such an Alaska type. It is so small. My favorite part of the story that Mary left out is that her mom was pregnant with her uh, during that time, so she actually campaigned for Don Young. <laughs> it's maybe true. that's where it's I mean, this, maybe this is where it came from. You know, it is where it came from, honestly. And and I've always known how long Don has been in service because it was my age plus one. So yeah, pretty much your whole life, my except entire life. Oh, plus one, yeah, because you were so your whole existence, and yes. now you're running to replace, replace. Wow, yeah. it's just when you think about it. I moved here in '04, and you know, very quickly I became familiar with this Don Young per- character because of just everything he would yeah. do or say. And then, so that's for me. That's what four. I'll be here 18 years in in August, and but going back to the '70s. I mean, I did a, pod, a few podcasts with him, and he's telling stories about like Nixon and Watergate and. Ford and Air, you know, and Reagan. I mean, like you're just thinking about like, it's like history, you know, when we think about it. But And Alaska was really different. When I would go to D.C. on business, I would always stop and and visit Don Young. And he had really colorful, fun stories about Fort Yukon with my dad. Um, Stories about... Um, teasing him about not bringing back the moose rack, teasing him it was a cow and, and not a bull. And, and so my dad's very not into, um, you know, horn soup. He's into it for the meat, uh-huh. you know, and putting meat away. So he left the rack behind, and, and Don told me this really hair-raising story about giving him grief. And then dad said, well, let's go bear hunting. And instead of going right, they took a hard left back to where dad had killed the moose and and don <laughs> insisted they bring this huge rack home and they were in a float plane and they couldn't get it in the plane because the rack was just too big and so they tied it to the floats oh, geez. and the story was about how they barely got up off the lake sounds very they dangerous barely got up above the tree line they were super slow getting back to fort yukon they you know all these barely made it kind of stories and then my dad tells great stories about the two of them fighting a wildfire with the same tractor and they would do 12 hour shifts each of them um he tells stories about winter trapping which is really dangerous landing on skis and uh, you know out in the wild um and the don and and his uh winter trapping partner doing two or three week shifts um just it was a different time yeah a ton of history there yeah so so you were like raised in bethel you kind of or yeah. Fort Yukon or Bethel? No, I've, I've never even been to Fort Yukon, unfortunately. I've just heard the really great stories. But my mom is from the village of Queethlook. Um, it's the village right above Bethel. And what happened was my dad, um, while he was a school teacher in Fort Yukon, bought a plane, fell in love with flying, fell in love with aviation, um, left teaching and, and started a an aviation charter service. And um, what was basically AT&T at the time contracted with him to bring their technicians out to every village in Alaska to put in one telephone. And this was late 60s, early 70s time frame, really early 70s. And so he, my dad had the contract to fly folks to each village to put in one hardline phone. And while he was doing that, he met my mom. And my mom is from the Bethel region. And so 
when I was about five, my dad left aviation for a while to go back into teaching, and he was a principal teacher for uh, in three different villages, and those are the villages I grew up in. Probably he was there when I read this book, um, Going to Extremes by yeah. Joe McGinnis. There's a whole chapter about Bethel. Yeah, and, and, a, and a tundra village. Yeah, yeah. and it's just and a great... Juno. And there's And Juno's, the Juno one's crazy about the cocaine yeah. and all the... He gets yeah. in the Malaspina, and he never been to a... He actually, in the book, he, he goes and meets with Don Young um, in D.C. before he comes to... Because he wrote that book about Nixon, and he had... Um, in there, I think Don had told him about... And you go to Fort Yukon, be careful, because my buddy, one time he got drunk, and I threw the, I threw the keys in the snow so he wouldn't drive. But then the guy was looking through the, like for this keys and it was like 50, like losses, a couple, couple of fingers. Oh my goodness. He was dr- like, it was like, but this whole book about, you know, Alaska in the seventies and this whole Bethel chapter. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was really just kind of, it's been amazing to be, be there back then. It was. Yeah. Alaska was an, an incredible place to grow up, especially when we had the wealth. Get a little closer to the mic. Sorry. It's, you know, Alaska was just a really incredible place to grow up, especially in the midst of the wealth that the pipeline mm-hmm. brought. That was just and it, it was such a booming time. Um, there were so many great camps there. You know, there were there were so many pieces of infrastructure in Bethel. And not just the buildings, but the funding, the operational funding for a teen center that was um, just so important. When I was growing up, they had a really robust senior senior services um, program. Um, they had a tremendous parks and recreation program, and all of that was through revenue sharing from the state. Yeah, it was, you know, before the oil money came through, it was just like a huge, the windfall was nuts, you know, in the 70s when the oil started. Yeah. There's a whole chapter in that book about Valdez and just how crazy it got when the oil started going. Well, and we're still living on it. Each of Mm -hmm. us as Alaskans, we still are benefiting from that. So you were in the legislature 10 years and now it's 14 years later and this, this uh, vacancy occurs when Don Young passes away. What, why did, what made you decide to, I mean, you're one of the 40, 48, it was more initially, but then it went down to 40. It's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it took me a week or so to process the grief. Um, I really saw Don as, it, he, my dad doesn't have a ton of friends. He's got a few close friends, I think, like most people. And and Don and Lou Young were certainly very close friends of our family. And um, that was just a real loss. So um, about a week later, I started getting various messages on Messenger, ve- various text messages, phone calls, like, well, you know, would you think about running? You know, why not? And so um, after a week or so of really thinking about it and going back and forth, I decided um, there are just so many issues that are really pivotal issues that I think are critical right now in Alaska as well as the nation. I just didn't want to sit this one out. Did you, you know, it was, it was like I said, 48 people and there, there was, I mean, Palin takes up a lot of the, the, uh, the energy um, and she's up like 27%. But did you honestly like expect to, I mean, did you think you were going to get, I know Kim did. Kim was very excited. She, I, think, I think she knew, but did you have a, cause it was so hard for so many people. Just, it just did, no one really knew us 48 yeah. people. It's so hard to gauge that. It was a very heavy lift. And, and of course I've changed my name. I, I kind of tied an arm and a leg behind my own back by, by changing my name because I've never really been a career politician. I haven't been worried about, um, you know, preserving name recognition. That hasn't been my number one objective. I'm a very family oriented person. Um, I had the name, the surnames of my children um, when, you know, 
during certain times and gone back to my my maiden name and then uh, remarried my my current or re- it's a big pain isn't it with like social security and drivers like I've heard, I've heard friends have get no divorced idea. and they and they say like I'm never changing it again <laughs> <laughs> no it's a headache and I wouldn't recommend it but but that's you know the area of Alaska I'm from is very traditional and that's it's just the custom and um, it was really important to my husband and and his family so um, I was happy to do it. So there, there was um, like a couple of Democrats. Chris Constant was one, and then Al Gross is independent, but he was kind of relying on the progressive vote. But you seemed to, I guess, maybe by May, it seemed to me that you were starting to, even though you don't have a lot of money, you didn't raise a ton of money compared to some of the other candidates, but you had got this traction. Uh, maybe I'll ask him, you know, it wasn't a lot of money. These campaigns take money, but she had started to get a lot of traction on, on, I saw a lot on social media and people talking about you. So was that, I mean, it sounds like that was maybe a little more organic than like somebody with, you know, Al Gross had all this money left over and he was able to tap into all this fundraising from his last time he ran in 2020. Yeah. I think that fundraising was difficult because uh, a lot of people were just saying, I'm waiting to see who gets in the top four before I give. And a lot of political donors don't realize that it's the early money that matters and that really helps get you off the ground. But I think um, what happened is one, as soon as we got Mary in front of people, like they love her. And that's why I uh, was really excited about her running. When someone told me that she was interested in running and we met and she was still trying to figure out if she was going to do it, if there was a path, um, I was a major champion in saying, yes, I see a path. You can do this. We can do it together. And, um, and that's when I came on your show last time was. You were when, very excited. You were. Yeah. yeah I knew it. was a very hard sell. She was yeah. all in. Like from, <laughs> from April. That was like right after the filing. It was like April, a couple of days after the first, I think. Yeah. I just knew that she had this, that she was going to have this appeal. So, um, on the fundraising piece, it's been tight, but I think that made us just be really smart with our spending. We just had, you know, it wasn't like some of these other federal races where there's just tons of money and you're, you're throwing it at a lot of different things. We just had to sit down and make really hard decisions on will this help Mary get more votes and which of these two options is going to help her get the most votes. And we had to, you know, just went all in on it. We were up on TV. Are those, are those Altoids? Yeah. Can I have one? Yes. I love that. My, gra- my grandma was English, so I'm going to have some of these. Just... Thank you. Yeah, we were up on TV before anyone. And yeah, I, I think I remember, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and we were, I think, the only, I know the only progressives, if not the only campaign that got out two mailers. And so we were just trying to be really smart with our money, and I think it went a long way, but it was tough because Mary was against three millionaires. Um, I can't even imagine. I've run for, like, local office, like, legislative, like, state senate. And even then, to do a mailer to five or 10,000 people, it's, like, expensive. But think about, you know. 100,000 people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, no. Big money. It was, it was, but yeah. So she was against three millionaires. She was against uh, Tara, who had a super PAC. And she was against Chris, who'd been in for a really long time. So if, now we'll talk just briefly, you know, Al Gross withdraws a couple of days ago, kind of surprised everybody. I don't want to, I don't want to brag here, but I, I broke that one. Got, got the, got the scoop on that. But um, initially people thought it was a joke, you know, because it was just such a crazy thing for, for someone, especially he's in third place and he had, you know, gotten, gotten 12%. So, um, 
now there's this question of will Tara Sweeney be moved up? And there's probably sounds like very likely going to be some litigation over that because of the timing. But but if not, um, it's going to be either way one Democrat, you. And then if, if it's interesting, if Tara Sweeney moves up, it'll be two Alaska Native women and then Sarah Palin, who's a woman. So just one guy, Nick. Yeah. And then, yeah. but even if that's not the case, it's two. If it's just three, two women, and then, and then Nick. But um, do you think if Tara goes, like, do you think it's going to change anything if she's on or not on? on the, I on don't the ballot? know, and I and I am reluctant to overanalyze that because I think there's so much about this race that is just very open ended. It's very much up up in the air, and um, there has been a lot of analysis about the way that ranked choice voting and the dynamic between three candidates mm-hmm. versus four um, and and how that would be different. Um, Tara is, I consider her a very good friend of mine. We're the same age. Um, her mom served in the legislature for a long time. She served on the House Finance Committee. She was certainly one of my role models and I really admire Tara. And um, I'll be happy if she decides to be to be in it, if, if, she, if it winds up that the court um, sides with her that she's in it. But if she's not in it, I respect that too. And if she's not, she'll probably at this point, if she stays into the to the regular primary, I, I would assume she ends up being in the top four very likely because now Revex dropped out, Coghill's dropped out, um, Gross has dropped a few other kind of people. Have, and I think Constant, he said he was going to, he hasn't withdrawn yet officially on the website. But Yeah, neither is Wool. And Wool either, Wool has, yeah, Wool hasn't either. So there was 48 in the regular, there was 31 ori- originally, now there's 30, 26 the regular primary and i assume wool and um constant are going to drop so if tara you know that'll be and the the regular the special general is on the regular primary ballot so it seems to me we'll be dealing with mostly primary voters in august but in then the november it's going to be more you know more vote obviously the turnout's higher and mm-hmm. so And August is a tough time to get Alaskans to come and vote. I mean, we're still in summer. We all take our summers very seriously. Um, August 16th, that's right around when folks are berry picking and catching their silvers and getting ready to go moose hunting. There's still a lot going on outdoors. So that's just a real challenging election in itself as well. Do you you think there was some, uh, the, the rates weren't that different as far as rejection rates, but the raw numbers were more because these were all mail ballots mm-hmm. for this election. And a lot of those were from rural areas. And I mean, I would, I would say that probably affected you more than you and Tara more than anybody. It may have. And, and that wasn't a huge surprise. Um, our, my district in particular, the Bethel region, we are very English as a second language. We are very much Yupik as a first language. Um, we don't typically have a lot of print rich homes. We're, we're not what you would call highly literate. Um, I think the school district calls most of us English language learners. I'm even classified technically as an English language learner because my mom is English as a second language. Mm. Um, so most of us, um, you know, are, are not um, going to be the, the best at reading a very complicated ballot. And, well, and there were so many confusing things. I mean, we were all told we could do ranked choice voting, but then the first ballot for the special election is a pick one primary. Mm-hmm. That was something we didn't expect. And I think a lot of folks um, in rural Alaska wanted to vote for more than one native person. There were four of us on the ballot. Um, I think there was that portion of the ballot that you had to tear off. There was the um, portion of the ballot you needed to have a witness. I, th- I think they haven't released it yet, but I, I would guess that the majority of the 
issues were the, the, the signature because when the COVID um, when you know election happened, they 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 waived the signature the the witness requirement. So I mean I know people here that said they almost didn't do it or they kind of forgot or so I would probably say that was probably the the, the majority of the but it, it was pretty high in some of those districts you know the, and like I said it, the, the the percentages were similar to previous elections but the overall numbers were higher because every single ballot was a was yeah. a mail ballot yeah well and I think of course we want every vote to be counted um, but what it tells me. Uh, does ha- see the high number of rejected ballots, especially especially in Mary's area, is that there's a lot more votes that are going to come to Mary once we do more voter education. So it's actually promising to me to see that Mary's going to perform even better in August. I, w- I would, I w- the, you mentioned the difference between three and four. I mean, the big difference is if nobody has a majority on the first round, they will have it on the, they have to have it on the second round. Whereas in the four-person situation, it could very well go to two candidates dropping off. Mm-hmm. And it'll be, I mean, it's just, to me, I think it's, my view is it's crazy to not have, we have 48 people, the fifth person's supposed to move up, the, the governor schedules the election in a way for it to line up with the primary to save money. But, I mean, why would there be a withdrawal deadline of June 26 if your withdrawal didn't, you know, I know it's not on you, but it's just a, the whole thing's kind of, kind of convoluted. Yeah, and it's for me, it's one of those things. I would love to get down in the weeds on this, but there, there's really not a lot of utility for me to to be in the weeds on the ranked choice voting and the court decision oh, yeah, and right. division I, of elections and spoiled ballots. That's really out of my control. So, so now that there's three or four compared to 48, um, I'm talking to you. I'm, I'm, I had Nick Begich come on our little show we did. He's going to do a podcast um, I've reached out to Palin's people. I've seen her in Fairbanks. Um, I think this isn't a secret. She seems to just be the, the strategy is not to engage, just not to engage too much. But that's going to be, I would say, a lot harder with three or four people than well, forty-eight. I think she's people. engaging in different ways. I mean, she definitely reaches out to people, but it, you know, um, everybody does things differently. Are you um, planning on? I assume raising more now. More, you're the only Democrat, so I think the money should probably be a little easier to. To raise now going forward. I don't know if money is ever easy to raise. Uh, you know, it, it just and that is the biggest hurdle for any campaign like this. And and it's unfortunate that the system. It, I had I talked with one Alaskan voter who wondered if we should be really calling ourselves an oligarchy uh, because if you look at the number of folks in Congress who are millionaires and billionaires, it's not really representative. I think we're a hundred percent an oligarchy. I mean, I there's some exceptions to it, but and I'm I'm just. This is kind of getting different topic, but I'm just I'm just shocked that the governor appoints Dave Rubenstein's daughter to the permanent fund board when his company Carlisle Group manages permanent fund money. You know, I mean, to me, that's like there's so many examples. I mean, the, the net worth, the average net worth of somebody in Congress, especially in the Senate. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's, I'm an outlier, so so raising money for me is always going to be a heavy lift, and it's something I'm always going to have to put uh, energy towards. And it's already harder for women, especially women of color to raise money. And we see that over and over again. So Mary has a lot of hurdles to overcome. It'll be, you know, interesting if Tara gets in or doesn't get in, even if she does, it's, it's three Republicans or two Republicans. And so they're going to be, and they're already, you're seeing this with Nick and, you know, going before going after Sarah Palin. So um, I, I guess, and maybe I'll ask you this, Kim, it seems to me there's, I mean, obviously more Republicans than Democrats and there's 
more independents overall, but a lot of those kind of skew the same way. So for a Democrat to win in this kind of election statewide, you have to appeal to at least some conservatives Mm -hmm. to be able to, to prevail. Yeah, I think if there's a path to victory for a Democrat to a statewide seat in Alaska, it's to be running against three Republicans. Because especially as much infighting as there is between the Republicans, we don't know how many are just going to b- bullet vote and not rank, you know, the other well, one there's, second. There's been some, in some of these places where they do this, there's been some data to show that sometimes there's a up to a 50% drop-off. Yeah, so, you know, when, I mean, especially as much as Palin and Begich are at each other's throats. And I think that there's a good chance, I mean, that we have a clear path here with three Republicans potentially splitting up the Republican vote. And then you count drop off from bullet voting. Um, and then some second votes will come to Mary. I mean, uh, Mary gets a lot of support from Republicans, especially from her work on the bipartisan Bush caucus and just a lot of rural folks that have known Mary her whole life and support her. So Mary will get a lot of second votes. Um, and I think that she has a really good chance. I mean, she'll definitely be um, likely in third um, in November. And then uh, I'm guessing, you know, Palin will likely be the one to drop is my guess. And um, if there's, or sorry, uh, Tara would be likely the mm. one to drop. I was like, I don't think, I don't think she's going to, Palin's got her. <laughs> it's, it's pretty incredible how she's, mm-hmm. even when she hasn't run for anything since mm-hmm. 2006, well, I guess 2008 with the vice presidential with McCain, but just she's so, she's, she's actually like world fame. I mean, she could, she's Absolutely. one of those people that cannot yeah. go into a store anywhere in the world probably and not be like recognized. Absolutely. I saw her at the airport last week and knew right away it was her, even though she had like sunglasses and. Oh, she kind of wears the like glasses. And she, she, she tries to, when, <laughs> yeah, when she was in New York, when she was in New York, I mean, there was like paparazzi was mm-hmm. ch- chasing her, you know, with that lawsuit recently with New York she's Times. She's got star quality. She's an international celebrity. So Mary knows her from oh, her yeah. Juno days. Yes. We were oh, yeah, because you were there when she was governor, right? Absolutely. Her two years in office coincided with my last two years. And oh, we my actually, gosh. I didn't even think about that. We worked very well together. She was pregnant with Trig while I was pregnant with my daughter, Nora. And um, I, her administration was really good to work with for the Bush caucus. And um, it's funny. Um, I was thinking about this the other day when... Um, after my daughter was born, you know, as newborns, they're um, pretty easy to work with. They mostly just sleep and eat. And so I brought um, my newborn with me to work and um, Lyman Hoff, Senator Hoffman and I had to go up and do some business on the third floor. And so we went and um, had our meeting with Sarah Palin. And the first thing she did was she took off the baby's little muckluck and sock and had to look at her foot and it was just really funny and cute and I'd never really seen anybody do that before and then she put it the sock and the muckluck back on and then probably 15 minutes later Piper came in from school she was in kindergarten that year she got off the bus and came in and the first thing she did was the third floor yeah yeah I love that yeah it was and 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 Sarah would leave meetings to go to the bus stop to pick up her daughter which I respect I'm a working mom she was a working mom but the cutest thing um, Piper came in and the first thing she did was take off the baby's muckluck and and sock and look at the baby the newborn baby's little foot it's just really cute Wow, that is like such another Alaska story, like your dad and Don Young. Yeah. You, so you were, not, I'm friends, this is how I really started to hear about you, was Libby Bacalar, who I'm friends with from Juno. Now, you, she was pregnant too, right? 
around the same yeah, time? Yeah, her she, daughter's 14 as well. They're all 14-year-old eighth graders. So she was working for, I guess, the state where the division... Yeah, the, attorney she, AG's office. Mm-hmm. She was one of the AGs. Yep. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, it's, a, it's wild about... So so you you had that association with the Bush Caucus, and mm-hmm. I wanted to ask, and one of the big things now, you know, nationally is this, this oil production, and, and there's been a lot of criticism from some Republicans about, you know, Alaska and Anwar. And I mean, where, where are you on, on, you know, more production for, for Alaska? What's the price of fuel right now going, you know, through the roof and the price of oil is really, which is one way is good for Alaska because we're getting all this money. But mm-hmm. in the other sense, there's been, you know, nationally, this kind of shortage of fuel and these rising prices. Well, I am open to drilling in the 1002 area of Anwar. It's a discrete area. The other issue at play here for me is Anwar is, you know, um, Doing leases on Anwar is law. It's part of ANILCA, and it was written into that budget bill. So it is the law as it stands now that um, that does go out for leasing and bids. The other one is, you know, Willow, which is, I always like kind of laugh when it's National Petroleum Reserve, and they kind of had the permits, Conoco, and then now there's this lawsuit, and it's, you know, it's going through. But that's another one where that if that would go, they're estimating at, at the full production would be like 160,000 barrels a day. Um, which would take, you know, several years. But I don't know, to me, it just seems like we have so many, so much oil resource in the state and it would be great if we could develop it more. And what would be even greater is if there, as consumers, as Alaskan consumers, we saw prices that weren't astronomical like they are. I think it's very, um, it's unfortunate (laughs) that our refineries are not here in Alaska. I know it's it's always been like laughable that it goes down to California and then it comes back. Yeah, and we, we pay as much as Hawaii. You know, when I hear things on NPR about national average gas prices, um, I just shake my head because our prices in Alaska are so much higher, especially out in the hinterlands. So, so you strike me as very reasonable. Thank if you, you if you win, I mean, co- the country and Congress it's so fre- freaking polarized. It is. I mean, how, how do you have you thought about that? Where that DC, it's like a. I mean, Juneau in itself is, I think, probably a lot worse than when you were there, but. Juno's like a microcosm now of this Mm -hmm. national kind of polarization happening. Well, I think it's really important to always be respectful. I think it's important to um, model civility and moderation. And uh, it's just one of the values I was was raised with. And then going to Juno, I really learned that lesson that you have in order to be effective, you can't have enemies. You have to have partners. Every single legislator and senator, they have to be, um, you have to have a good working relationship with them to get anything done. And that is, you know, the way I like to say it, you need to have 59 best friends in Juneau. And so that I would definitely be using the same approach at the national level is just working to find any reasonable person I could to build a good, positive relationship with and partner with. Were you in the majority most of the time? Because you were the Bush, was it, was it both or was it mostly minority? No, I was a, I stayed a Democrat. We didn't have bipartisan caucuses then. We didn't have these coalitions that we've seen um, since then. And so I was a Democrat uh, caucusing with a mini minority, actually. And that was why I realized I needed to work on a coalition outside of the, the partisan Cause, cause coalitions. Because didn't, didn't, you know, for a long time, like, and this is after you, but 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 Edgemond and, and Foster and Heron, they, they would be, when the Republicans had these big majorities, they'd be in there. Yeah, and that um, happened after I left. 
So before you, it was, you were, you were, was it always minority or was there a time when you were? a hundred percent minority and sometimes many minorities. There were sessions where we weren't sure if we were going to get committee seats because we had so few people in because our Because you office. have to have at least 10, right? And yeah. Then, to be the quote minority. Yeah. But you know, if you look at my track record, I was a very effective legislator despite being in a small minority caucus. I mean, DC, it's so the Congress, what's there, 400 and I think 45 in the House or something, or 435 in the House, and then it's like 100 in the Senate. So it's like, ooh, that's a lot. A lot of best friends that I need to go and make. There, there was people I've talked to that have worked in D.C., and they say, like, these new congressmen or congresswomen, they, you know, it takes them really two or three terms before anybody kind of even really kind of knows who they are. Because there's so much turnover, whereas yeah. some of the people that have been around for, you know, 20, 10, 20, 30 years are more recognizable. Well, and it was even a little bit like that in Juno. Eric Croft used to joke about how he wouldn't talk to freshmen because they might not be back next term. <laughs> so, Kim, what's, I mean, you, is, you, I know you're the manager, but there's more on the team. What's, what's you know, you're two months, I guess, to, until less than two months now until this general. So what's, uh, what's the plan? Yeah, um, yeah, so I'm with Ship Creek Group, and so the whole team. I shout out. I yeah. Big fan, John Henry over there. You guys got, what, seven or eight or nine people? Over? It's oh, no, I think we're at 14. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, we're working hard, not just on Mary's race, but a lot of other campaigns as well. There's a ton of legislative races, 59 ra legislative races. Yeah, yeah, so we're working on a handful of those. Um, and... Yeah, so we're, this is basically, I've been explaining to Mary, like, we were a small, scrappy campaign before, but now we're in the big leagues. So we're going to staff up direct to campaign and uh, just keep on. I mean, we were always focused on Mary. We're going to stay on the same message. We're going to keep focusing on Mary, and we're just going to get her name out to more folks. So you'll, you'll be kind of in a little bit of a nice position or advantage with you're running in the special general but you're also on the regular primary so you can kind of almost two birds with one stone situation with with you know the august 16th ballot yeah no it's a it's it's a good place to be when when you're in the middle of two races simultaneously you i mean you filed really i mean really close to the deadline right i filed on the friday everyone else did yeah or most everyone else did so you said don young passed away and you you know, you processed that, but then you, was there any moment where you decided, like, was it just people encouraging you or did you reach out to people first or did they reach out to you first? Like, how, how did it kind of go? Well, it was really interesting. I just started getting these very random messages from people that I hadn't talked to in years and people that I would have thought were unlikely to think of me for, you know, running for a position like this. Um, and I, I did have some doubts and a lot of it was that, a lot of the folks that I knew from my time in Juneau had already committed to Al. And I was a bit worried that he had usurped all of the mm -hmm. establishment, all of the progressives. And, um, you know, just kind of work through that, thought about it, and just, you know, um, just said, well, we'll see where this goes. And I, I have, you know, one of the things that um, has been helpful is I haven't been emotionally attached to winning. I've just been taking it day by day and forum by forum mm -hmm. and conversation by conversation, and we'll see where it goes. Yeah, it's, it's um, I was kind of, because, you know, Gross was kind of the their guy in 2020 against Sullivan, and then 
And then in May, I think it was May, they came, the Democrat part, last Democratic Party came out really hard against him. And I'm yeah, not really sure what happened. I didn't but know we, anything about. Did you see I, that? Yeah, that was, I did. And, strongly and that worded. Surprised me, and I think it had a lot to do with there being six Democrats also in the field. I think there was, you know, I don't know if it was said publicly, but it sounds like he he said he would maybe caucus with anybody. So maybe that had I don't know, Kim, if that's more your your, your scene. But <laughs> oh yeah, Jeff, you know a lot more than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to be, um, you know, kind of full throttle here for the next few months and. Today's, what's today? Wednesday. So the election should be certified on Saturday. And then I assume it sounds like there's going to be some kind of litigation likely with this Tara Sweeney thing. So it's going to move very quickly. So we'll know basically by next week if there's going to be three or four people on this final. Yeah. And it just keeps changing by the day. When you heard about gross, I mean, this must have been, I mean, I think everybody was pretty much shocked by it. But if I'm you, I mean, I think it's great for you if it, because, because he's, Somebody who would, you know, attract progressive center left vote, left of center voters. Yeah, I don't know if it's my aversion to change or, you know, change really quickly, but I, I it really set me back on my heels, and I was really hoping he he wouldn't drop out because it does change the dynamic of of rank choice voting so substantially. So, last thing I'll ask you is, you when you what have you been doing between you were I think you were working in Bethel, right? Between when the last time you were out of the 2008 to now, years. 14 years. What, what, yeah. what, what have you been up to? Well, I worked for Donlin Goldmine. Oh, nice. For six years. Oh, Christina um, Woolston. Yes. Did you work with her at all? Uh, no, our time did not overlap. Big fan of her. Yeah, me too. Great. Me too. And then I did that for six years. And then I um, worked a couple sessions as a state lobbyist. And it turned out that was not the best job for a hands-on mom who doesn't live year-round in Juneau. That was mm-hmm. very uh, challenging just logistically. Um, and then I got a job working for the Kuskokwim River Intertribal Fish Commission as their executive director. So I've been working in salmon management for the last five years. Is that a s- federal thing or is that a state? Cusk- it's a it's a tribal organization. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so it's funded by the feds. I was looking at sometime when I have enough, when I have enough time, I want to do a story on the CDQs. Very interesting. There's, yeah. a, lo- there's a big story there. Yeah, it's and pretty, pretty interesting. I'm really proud of the CDQ group from the Bethel area, Coastal Village Region Fund. C- they're, they're one of CVRF and, uh, oh yeah, you, you have the button. So, CV, yeah. so there's six of these, and I don't want to get too much into this, but there's six of these, and CVRF and Norton Sound, um, to me, they're like the more, they have boats, and they're actually doing a lot of things, and they're, the money well, the they're using for the Im- economic. Yeah, their profits, the part that impresses me is their commitment to corporate social responsibility. Yeah. They are not only working on on seafood issues but they're they're buying housing packages and and helping communities um, meet some of their pressing housing needs they're getting uh, dealership licenses not just for outboard motors and four-wheelers and snow machines but household appliances so that folks in the village can work on these things that's the whole point of the this is goes back to if you win you'll probably be really involved in this magnus and stevens I hope to be. That is certainly one of the things. And actually that I went back to D.C. to testify on the reauthorization of Magnus and Stevens Act in Don Young's committee. And that's the last time I saw him. He was really involved. in absolutely. I mean, for the folks listening that there used to be this issue with like these foreign countries, they'd fish overfish and they set up this 200 mile limit and they set up these groups for these CDQs, which get quotas. And they're supposed to the money's supposed to go into the regions, right, for kind of economic development and for. We're kind of benefiting the people of the, of the regions. And um, it was a very, I think at the time, very controversial 
um, situation, you know, with the fish and all these like Russia and China and mm-hmm. it's uh a lot of a lot of resource out there. Well, and a lot has changed since the last time the act was reauthorized. It was reauthorized last in I think 2007, and in 2007 we were looking at a different paradigm in in the Bering Sea. The the ocean productivity has really dropped and like when I was growing up they call it a spawner recruit ratio. So for every spawning salmon, 6 would return. Now the the spawner recruit ratio is 1 to less than 1. So escapement is just really critical right now. And and for mm-hmm. every fish that spawns, we're going to get less than one returning. Wow. It's very scary, especially if you're from a salmon culture and the, the majority of the people in your region depend on salmon for food security. That's crazy. That ratio went down so it, much. Yeah. And and it's, and it's and I don't want to just make it a... It, it, ocean is a huge component but so are the freshwater streams. Um, the smolts that are out migrating, they're, I think one of the studies that was done on the Queethlick River um, showed that every year the number of smolt out migration went down by half. So this was a four-year study. So the, by the fourth year, 12.5% smolt were leaving. Well, I feel like if you end up uh, winning, you're probably going to be pretty involved in the, the fish I hope to be, stuff. certainly. Yeah, that's a critical issue for all Alaskans, in my opinion. Well, Mary, it was great having you on, and Kim, thanks for being here, too. It's going to be, uh, I think everybody's going to be watching this thing. You're, you're kind of the talk of the political political world right now after this gross thing. Everybody's, everybody's oh, my God, Mary, you know, it's, I'm getting all these texts, and I told a few people who were doing the podcast, and they were like, oh, my God. I That's saw uh, some photos today of some gross yard signs with Mary's name taped over them. <laughs> I'm not condoning it, but I was amused. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, it's, um, like I said, it's going to be very unique. You know, this is the first time we've, we've done this new system, and this is kind of the, the test for it in a lot of ways because of this situation with, with Don Young passing away. So we'll, we'll see how this uh, plays out here in the next few months. Yeah, and I think he's smiling down on us. Oh, I'm getting sure he a, is. Getting I'm, a kick out of the I'm whole sure thing. I'm sure he's loving it. Yeah. A little bit of chaos goes a long way. And just the fact that you're dad, and that's just a great you know, connection. Yeah, yeah. And my mom is just, and actually in that hearing, he started getting angry with me, and then he stopped himself, and he said, oh, I love this woman's mom. Her mom is wonderful. This is the, the, the fish hearing? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Mary, thanks again for coming on. Mary Poltola, Democratic candidate for the for the U.S. House. And uh, you, Kim Jeff Jones Lanto. from... from uh, Creek Group, thanks for coming on, and we'll um we're hoping to do a debate, so we'll be in touch about that. Good. Hopefully, we'll get that going. It's a lot, lot easier with four than than forty eight. Yeah, and, and and maybe it'll just be three of us. It could be three, yeah, just two of us. I don't know. And I um I got to say too, I should mention that Emil Nadi, who had mm-hmm. another history historical thing, he had run against Don Young back in seventy three. Yeah, he had um only got over a percent, but. He almost two percent, I guess, but he had dropped out. He had endorsed you, so and he is a legend. I just I have so much respect and admiration for Emil Nadi. He really is the creator of the Alaska Federation of Natives. Mm-hmm. He's the one who pulled it together, and AFN is certainly you know the most prestigious Native organization that we have in Alaska, and and partners with all Native groups. So, um, no, I just I can't say enough good things about Emil Nadi. Well, it's a great great meeting you for the first time, and, and like I said, you got the. You got the, uh, as Trump would say, the complete and total endorsement from Libby Bacalar. So she's a, <laughs> she's great. She's a big fan. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll and see I'm you out there. I'm a big fan of hers. Thank well, you. Great meeting you. We'll see you out there in the campaign trail. And, and thanks for coming in, Mary and, uh, and Kim. And yeah. we'll see you guys next time.
Thank you. Yep. If you have an idea for a podcast, folks, or want to do one, get a hold of me. And if you're uh, listening to us on Apple or Spotify or any any place, uh, go ahead and give us a great review and a like. We'd appreciate that. And stay tuned for the next one. Landline.